Um, I pray that you be with the people who are here this morning and and uh, touch their hearts, turn it into just soil ready to receive seed, and that your word would come back um, just a hundredfold, Lord, that that um, folks would encounter you this morning and hear from you and know you better. Um, Lord, I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of that, um, and that that um, anything that would get in the way of it would be just taken taken out of our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I couldn't remember if I used an illustration. I spent most of the week asking people who um, listen to me talk, and the problem I encountered with that is that, that most people listen for a little bit and they start to drone me out. And so if I'm repeating my story, I apologize. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was out uh, moving bales for the bitses, and uh, I, I spent a, a whole day in this in this tractor with a little fork and the times picking up bales and moving them and um i i uh i love doing that kind of thing um and and so i was out there and ann was watching abby and titus all day um she had them all day which was even more wonderful so i i had quiet time driving a big machine which was awesome and the kids were somewhere else which also was good um but i do love them um anyway at lunchtime ann came out with with food um, which is another thing I, I didn't realize food tastes better in a field. I don't know why that is. Um, but Abby, Abby gets out of the car and she starts telling me, Dad, I've been with Ann all day. She taught me how to be a farmer. Titus and I are farmers now. <laughs> and I said, Oh, really? And he said, Yeah, we're farmers. We're, we're, you know, she taught us everything we need to know, so now we're farmers. If you keep doing stuff like this, you might become a farmer one day too. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm going to say outright, I am not a farmer. I ain't ever going to be a farmer. Everybody with me? Um, <laughs> I, I have a garden, by the way. I have a garden, and my garden has produced a handful of edible things, right? And, and the rabbits have appreciated them. Um, and, and I'm still not a farmer. I complain a lot, and I'm still not a farmer. <laughs> oh! Um, <laughs> As a pastor, I only work one day a week, and I'm still not a farmer. <laughs> I love y'all. <laughs> um, in, in reality, I'm never going to be a farmer, and Abby may grow up one day to work on a farm or to be married to a farmer. Um, I've been scouting out prospects already. Uh, but at this point in time, she is not a farmer. Can we all agree on that? She can shout it from the rooftops, I am a farmer, but the louder she talks... She's not a farmer because she doesn't farm. Everybody got that? <laughs> the big distinction between farmer and not a farmer is actually farming, right? Like, like otherwise she's pretending. You know, she might have overalls. I think she used to. And she might, I don't actually think I've ever seen a farmer wearing overalls. Coveralls, that's it. <laughs> I mean, she might do all of these things. She may ride on my, my lap in a tractor. I think she's ridden on Larry's lap in a tractor. Um, but she, you know, until she's actually doing the farming thing, she's not a farmer. Um, and, and the reason I'm starting with this is um, we're going to be doing a new series, and, and we're going to talk about what it means to be, um, to be a Christian, what it means to be saved by Jesus, right? And, and there's this weird confusion that's happened over the years, like the last, well, 2,000 years on and off. Um, but in the United States, it's been about the last 150 years. There's been all kinds of crazy stuff. That's come out, and we're going to kind of dig in, and we're going to look at what it means to be saved by Jesus, right? 
which is a big deal. I mean, like, if you're showing up here and being saved by Jesus isn't, like, a big deal to you, like, then you're, you're missing the point. We're not a social club, right? We're the family of God. You know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, we are, we are something different than just a, just a club or an organization or, or what have you. We are um, something wholly different. And I've met folks along the way who say, I am this or I am that. I am, I am a Christian. And you look at them and you say, well, you're saying that, and I don't know what's in your heart, but I don't know. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that to judge folks. What I want to do is we're going to look at what the Bible says about it. Specifically, we're going to look at what Jesus says and then what, like, the guys who came after him explain about what he says. And over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of unpack this, okay? And I'm a little nervous doing this. Because um, this isn't how I normally preach, right? Normally I pick a book and we go through it bit by bit. Um, but I decided to do some big brush strokes for the next few weeks. So stick with me. Please do not throw rocks. Um, we're going to start off with a basic definition of the gospel, right? We use the word gospel all the time. And, and um, I want to be clear up front at the basic idea here. First off, we are um, the gospel is that Jesus, God's son, came to this earth. He lived a perfect life obeyed God's laws perfectly, never sinned, never offended God, never neglected God. He was obedient. And then, as a perfect person, took punishment in our place, right? Um, If he had sinned, if he was guilty, he couldn't take punishment in our place because he would deserve it too. But because he had never sinned, like he was able to take our punishment. Us, we all do bad stuff, right? If anybody here says they don't, um, was it John, John, right? If you say you're without sin, you deceive yourself and the truth isn't in you. Like, the reality is we all sin at some time or other. We all, like, like stumble, fall. We're inclined to rebel. I'll tell you, I don't know about any of y'all, but me, if you give me a rule, the first thing that goes on in my head is I try to figure out how to get around it. Right? I try to figure out, you know, how do I get around this rule? What do I do? How do I get what I want? Or, or when I was, well, anyway. Um, so, like, all of us have sinned, and because of that sin, we cannot earn from God salvation. We cannot, if I throw a rock at, at um, Larry in the back there, the moment that rock leaves my hand, there's nothing I can do to call it back, right? Um, the moment we have, like, crossed this line, we start sinning, which is about, you know, the moment we're born, unfortunately. Um, the, the moment sin enters us, like, there ain't no calling it back, and we cannot earn God's favor. You cannot be good enough to make God love you. Everybody with me? You cannot be good enough to call the rock back after you've thrown it, to undo things that you've done. Like, and so I've met people along the way who believe, I'm a Christian because I'm doing my best to be good. And I am here to tell you, if that is who you are, you are wrong. All right? Being good will not save you. Um, in reality, the only thing in this life, and, and this is it, like the only thing in this life is to have faith in Jesus and to follow him. Everybody with me? And specifically, faith is what saves us. Like we have faith in Jesus, and because of that, um, it's like the permanent records get transferred. Um, in elementary school, I remember there were years I wanted, I just wish I could sneak into the office and get into the files and switch Eric with that smart kid, <laughs> the kid who never got in trouble and never like got paddled by the principal because I went to one of those schools. Like I, it, That's what happens when we have faith in Christ. Like It is faith that saved us. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. You cannot work hard enough. You cannot anything. Like It is believing in Jesus like, and the death he died for us that saves us. That is the bottom line of it. 
If this is the first time you've ever heard it, pay attention because the Bible's clear. Like, this is what saves us from the punishment we have coming. This is it. It is believing in Jesus, having faith that he died for us, that he was raised again. That is what saves you. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, I, I, not everything he said made me, you know, weak in the knees, but like one of the things I've always loved, the only, or what you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Meaning, you know, if you're trying to earn it, give up. Okay? Um, now, here's where this gets tough. Um, because salvation is only accomplished through Jesus, historically there's been all this argument and discussion and disagreement, and there's been mixed messages that have come along. Um, before the Reformation, it was like 600 years ago, right? So we're not talking about last year. It was when Craig was in high school. Um, where is he? I can't even see his face when I make fun of him now. There he is. Um, <laughs> it was when Craig was in high school during the, the, the Reformation. Actually, 16 years. It was about 400 years ago, so Craig was a little older then. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, there was this big fight that happened between the Catholic Church and everyone else um, where folks came along and they said, well, wait a minute. I don't believe that I have to take communion to go to heaven. I don't believe I have to do these things. I don't believe I have to pay money in to get out of purgatory. Like, I don't believe any of that. And, like, they began to read the scriptures differently and they began to figure out, like, we are saved by grace through faith. I have faith in Jesus. That's what saves me, period. And, like, there was this whole period of fighting and wars and everything else over the simple idea that all I have to do is have faith in Christ. Now, that big idea, which is what the Bible says, mind you, like it gets confused as time goes on. Because what happens is, like during the Second Great Awakening, there's this whole movement where they start saying, like it's called decisionism, right? A fellow named uh, Finney, Charles Finney sort of gave birth to this idea, and it's not been a favor to the church. It's this idea that once you make a decision, you are instantly saved and there's nothing else. And that's true, but what's come out of that is this idea that if I say this prayer, I'm done. Right? And I've met folks who, you know, I met a guy who, who like, he bullied every small person he came near. He stole. He got high. He, I think he beat up his mom, and that's how I met him because he got locked up for it. Like, and he was, oh, I said that prayer once. I'm good. Really? <laughs> really? Are you sure? Um, this decisionism thing is, like, you say this prayer and you're saved. And actually, I know folks who will say that. You don't got to do anything else. You're all done. Right? And there's some confusion here. And this is where this is going to get really tough. And I will say this straight up. Faith in Jesus is what saves you. You do not work to be saved. But you end up with this crazy disconnect, and we're going to start looking at what Jesus said, and there's some confusion there, right? And you know what? I'll, I'll talk about categorizing next week. I don't want to get into that. It gets too complicated. Um, we're going to kind of take this apart bit by bit over the next few weeks and look at what the Bible says about how you are saved. So Jesus, this is Matthew 7. we got a handful of passages from Jesus. Um, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears a good fruit, and a diseased tree bears a bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear a good fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear a, bad, or a good fruit. Um, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. This is an analogy, and we'll get to what he means by that in a second. But just a real quick question to kind of contemporize it. Um, I, when I was cutting, I was, I was swathing for Larry. Is it cheatgrass? 
sheet or cheat? Cheat grass. There's this stuff. It was everywhere. And I was told, you cut this and you leave it. We're not going to bale it because it's no good because it's all cheat grass. Because apparently you can't feed it to cows. I don't know what that means. Um, but it's no good. And like you, you, it's not grain. If it shows up in the grain, you don't want it, right? This stuff, you spray it and kill it. This is a little like this. You don't get good stuff out of your cheat grass, right? You don't get good stuff out of, out of the weeds. You get good stuff out of like the things that produce good things. Um, and so Jesus goes on. He says, listen, good trees, good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know about y'all. I don't cast demons out and I don't prophesy all that often. But I, I stand up and talk about Jesus a lot. And I read that and there's a part of me that says, well, I better be aware, right? Because like it doesn't sound like I made a decision is what Jesus is saying here, is it? And this sounds a little heftier. Um, I'm not contradicting the idea that faith in Jesus is what we need. I'm suggesting that Jesus himself talked about a bigger thing than just say this prayer and you're done. Everybody with me? Um, Because what he specifically ends there with, he calls these people workers of lawlessness, meaning that you ignore everything else you you talked about me you cast demons out you did these things but you ignored like the other half um and we'll get to why in a moment let's jump on to matthew oh i'm sorry everyone who hears this is the next little parable he tells everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against his house and it was fell and it washed, or excuse me, and it fell and great was the fall of it. I used to live in California and there are all these hills around us. And I remember while we were there, there was this multi-million dollar house on a hill. And there was a whole lot of rain because they have rainy seasons there. And this house, like a giant sled, they had screwed up the soil analysis and the ground wasn't thick enough. It turned to mud and that house, that multi-million dollar house, like a sled, it slid down that hill and disintegrated, right? Um, Usually when you hear sermons about this, I've heard so many sermons on this that say, oh, applying Jesus' words to your life. What that's about is it's about doing, you know, doing what Jesus says. And then when you encounter difficulty, like, you know, the dog died or I went bankrupt or whatever, your life will stay together. But, like, it's right after this part where he's like, hey, you workers of lawlessness, get away. You don't, I don't know you people. You're not my people. And then, you know, he says, well, build your house on the rock. Build your house on something that's going to last. Um, build your house on something that is solid, which is my words. Um, I, I suspect what he's talking about here, these storms, that's Jesus coming back. That's you dying and facing him one day. In reality, there seems to be a connection between what we do and what we believe. Everybody with me? I mean, there just is. Like, either how I live is connected to how I believe, or what I say I believe, like, I don't know, it, there's a disconnect. Um, we had a couple more lines from Jesus. This is another, this is uh 
Matthew 25. This is at the end of the gospel. This is Jesus' Um, doing the last of his teaching, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, so like he's there, he separated the sheep and the goats. There's an important thing to understand here. There's judgment that's happened. Jesus has decided these people are judged, these people are forgiven, this is the judgment. And so then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundations of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Um, there's another, I, I, I'm going to skip over the second half, but the second half he turns to the goats and he says, Hey guys, um, get away. I don't know any of y'all. And they're like, what? And he says, when, uh, sorry, my zipper's down. I, um, he says, when I, I was trying to figure, I've been standing here like 10 minutes trying to figure out how to do that without it being obvious, and I'm kind of embarrassed now. And now I'm talking about it, which makes it worse. Um, <laughs> But that, that's just to see who's still paying attention. Um, I, he says to the goats, he's like, look, I don't know you guys. And they're like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was homeless, you didn't invite me in. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was, you know, and, and they're like, wait a minute, I don't remember seeing you, you anywhere. I would have noticed, like, this giant godlike being if he needed something to eat. I certainly... And he says, listen, whenever you did not do this for the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it for me. Well, it's funny. I've listened to a whole bunch of different sermons on this recently, like in the last few years, where folks are arguing about it. And there's sort of this traditional sense of like, oh, well, they've already been judged and this is incidental. It has nothing to do with the judgment. But like Jesus is saying, for when I was hungry, for when I was thirsty. And so he's connecting them. And so there's got to be a connection between how we live and, like, following Jesus, right, and being saved. I mean, there's, there's got to be a connection. Jesus puts the connection out there, and it's bigger than just saying a prayer. Mind you, that saying a prayer thing I keep mentioning, it was like five years ago the Southern Baptist Church adopted the official stance that if you say this prayer, you're saved. Like, it's interesting because the prayer never appears in the Bible, Right? The phrase, accept Jesus into your heart, you know what book it's in? None of them. There's actually no spot in the scripture that say, accept Jesus into your heart and you're saved. Like, we, we have all of these things. Is it true? I think there's a lot of truth to it, but there's, it's a complicated story, okay? Um, we're going to start unpacking some of this. I'm going to skip over that one. Uh, James 2. Now, James was Jesus' half-brother, and the book of James is controversial. Martin Luther, who was the guy who brought out this grace idea for the ages again, like sort of set the church on the right course. Martin Luther read the book of James, and he said that's the epistle of straw, and he actually argued that they should just remove it from the Bible entirely because of this section. Um, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Um, what James says, and actually the book of James is a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' big sermon, he comes back and he unpacks it and explains it. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, folks come along and they say, well, I believe in Jesus. And he says, well, that's great. The devil believes in Jesus, Right? And he says, well, I have faith. He says, well, listen, your faith is something you say you have. My faith is something you're going to see because I'm going to take care of folks. My faith is something you're going to see because I'm going to live out what Jesus said. Um, Martin Luther had problems with this, and I love Martin Luther, mind you. I'm not knocking on him. But he had a problem with this because, like, it draws such a close line between I have to do stuff to earn my way into heaven. In reality, you cannot earn forgiveness. However, there's another piece to this puzzle. And, and it gets confusing. I mean, this sounds like two different things here, right? Either you do what Jesus said and follow his teachings, or you do what everybody else says and you have faith in him. And, like, there's this weird extreme that's happened in the church where, like, it's one or the other. Um, and what we're going to look at for the next few weeks is the fact that it's not. Ephesians gives us sort of the key to this. For by grace you have been saved. Grace means a gift you receive that you cannot earn, do not deserve, but it is given to you freely. So grace is the gift of Jesus for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Meaning you have faith in Jesus. God gives you the gift of salvation. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of your work. So that no one can brag, meaning like, or no one can boast, meaning no one can come out and say, look at how awesome I am. And how many of y'all have known folks like that, by the way? I am really saved because, man, I'm good. God is lucky he has a follower like me. <laughs> Don't you know that? Like, like, he picks someone handsome and smart and well-spoken and, you know, a hero to, to many children. And, I mean, that's nonsense, right? Like, you, people who do that that brag on the salvation they've earned, they're lying. And actually, part of what sometimes we do is we start looking at the folks around us, and when we're awful at something, we look for the guy who's worse. So we can say, hey, you know what, I'm not real good, but that guy. <laughs> I used to do that in gym class as a kid, right? I might be fat and slow, but that kid over there, the one on crutches, I'll beat him in a race. <laughs> I didn't actually ever say that. That's horrible. Not out loud. Um, but it's not like we don't all compare. I mean, right? How many of y'all have sat around and looked at people around you and say, man, I'm glad I'm not as bad as that guy? Or you listen to a sermon, and you're listening, and you're like, I really hope so-and-so is listening right now because he needs to hear this. But what, how is that different, right? We have a tendency to want to brag on our salvation, to make ourselves look good and other people bad because, because it works, right? God, look at how pretty I am. That's why I hang out with this ugly guy. Um, that's usually, I'm the ugly guy, usually. Um, so no one can brag because you can't earn it. You're not good enough. I'm sorry. I'm not good enough. Um, you can't open enough orphanages. You can't feed enough poor people. You, can't, you have to have faith in Christ. And God gives you forgiveness as a gift. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, there's the tricky part. So I believe in Jesus. God reaches in, and he makes me brand new, right? Fixes all the broken stuff and reforms me, right, like a, like a sculptor. And suddenly I become this brand new person. Um, and by the way, workmanship implies like, like a master work. You all ever watch uh, those cake shows on the Food Channel? And they make those cakes that look like real cars. And you think, oh, my gosh, that's nicer than my car. You know, <laughs> or they make, you know, cartoon characters, and they look just like they're supposed to. Um, that's what this, this idea is, perfection, like the work of an artisan or a craftsman. You are that. If you are in Christ and God is making you brand new, you are a work of art in that respect because God is doing amazing things in you. But he's doing it for a reason, which is for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Now watch this. When we were created, you go all the way back to the beginning. God made Adam. He made Eve. And he made them for a specific purpose. He made them to have a relationship with him. Right? He did not make them so that they could go and tear up the world. He did not make them so he could, they could pave the garden or anything like that. Like, he made them to have a relationship with him, to hang out with him and talk to him and love him and enjoy the things he's made. Like, and just be connected to him. That was the reason they existed. When we are saved, we're brought back from the broken state they brought the world into. Um, thanks, Adam. Um, we're brought back from that, and we're brought back to our original purpose. Our original purpose is to be in a relationship with God. Like the purpose of Jesus dying for us is for us to be in connection, in intimate relationship with him. That is why we're saved. It's like actually the case that... that um, when we're saved, that becomes a natural extension. Um, salvation isn't a prayer. It's having faith in Christ and then coming into a relationship with Jesus. Um, my wife and I have been married for 18 years, right? Um, the day we got married, I did not say, well, you know, it was nice knowing you. I'm glad we're married. I'll see you later, right? Because we got married so that we could spend our lives together. We, we had Abby. It took 50, 52 51 hours, something like that, for Abby to be born. We didn't leave her at the hospital. All right, well, she's born. <laughs> hard work's done. In reality, that 50-some-odd hours, like, it seemed hard, but, man, the hard work's come since. I know it was hard for me. I barely slept that whole two days, three days. I love you, honey. I say things like this to see if you're listening, by the way. Um, in reality, Jesus saves us so that we can be in relationship with him. Um, if we say, oh, I said this prayer, I'm saved, but I'm not going to have a relationship with, with you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to be your person like, like we're missing the boat. Do you understand? Um, we're saved so that we can walk with Jesus. We're saved so we can be in a relationship with Christ. Does that mean I can't enjoy my life anymore? No, actually, part of being in a relationship with God is enjoying the creation, right? Part of being in a relationship with God is like, Having folks around you who are your family in Christ, like in loving those people and being with them. Um, part of being in a relationship with Christ is, um, is the work, and we'll get to that. Um, and it'll be in the coming weeks. But the work is following Jesus and becoming like him. Um, as we are saved, it doesn't make us instantly perfect in the moment. I will confess I struggle with sin. Is there anybody in this room who does not feel tempted, and screw up periodically? Who does not, when you're arguing with your spouse or neighbor or friends, words come out of your mouth and you think, if I could take that moment back, I would. 
No one? Room full of Christians, and you still say bad stuff. We're not perfect. It means that we work toward becoming the kind of people that, that look like Jesus. We work at changing our hearts so that our hearts reflect something different. Um, I, uh, I've known people. Actually, I worked with a gal in Indiana. We worked with uh, the, the kids in the home, in the children's home, and some of them were extremely difficult. And she would do nice things even for the nastiest kids. She would put their blankets in the dryer at night and warm them up so they could go to bed in warm beds. And I would sit there filling out paperwork watching this lady do that. And I would say to her, are you nuts? That kid spit on you earlier. Are you seriously warming up his blankets? And, like, it took me forever to figure out that's because she loved them even though they were nasty kids. Right? Um, Because her heart was different than it was before. Like, God changes our hearts progressively, and it produces these good fruit. It produces awesome things. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. The word for this is discipleship. It means following Jesus. It means training to be like him. Um, If I were to go out, I don't run very much right now, but I can go out and run five miles. Right? I I was painting with Ross the other day, and he threatened me because I took his photograph. Um, And he said, you know, you... You know, if I get a hold of you, and I said, well, you'd have to get a hold of me first. Um, Ross might drive a truck, but if we both took off running, is he keeping up with me? Probably not. I can't take him in a fight, but I can outrun him. <laughs> um, because I train to run, right? I train. Even if Ross tried really hard, he couldn't catch me. <laughs> He'd just get in his tr- On foot. <laughs> But he's got a lot of friends here, so I'm probably in trouble. I, I pick on Ross because I love him and because he picks on everyone else and me, too. So, um, um, Discipleship is training to become something different and better, right? It is following Jesus and learning to be like him. Do I have to do that to be saved? No, you're saved by having faith in Christ, but you're saved for the purpose of being in a relationship with Christ. And you're in a relationship with Christ by following him, right? You're saved for the purpose of that. Um, you know, it's for freedom that Christ sets us free is a great line in Romans. And I love that passage, but the assumption is freedom means I can do whatever I want. In reality, freedom means that I'm freed from the slavery of the sin that I, like, am stuck in. Um, it, our relationship with him, um, like, becomes this thing that overarchs everything, right? I love my wife, but I love Jesus more. The crazy thing is that I didn't learn to be good at loving my wife until I learned to be good at loving Jesus. And I began to recognize that my relationship with my wife is an extension of my relationship with Jesus. And so for when my wife ticks me off, which doesn't happen very often because she is a wonderful uh, flower in the garden of my life, um, but the once in a while that she does tick me off, I can love her and treat her lovingly anyway because she's a gift from Jesus. And if I'm going to be right with Jesus, I've got to be right with her. And I love Jesus, so I love her even when, like, she acts unloving. Which isn't very often. It's usually my job. Because she's perfect. I promised her I wouldn't pick on her in sermons anymore. Uh, and so I am, like, not picking on her. <laughs> that was not picking on you. I said you were perfect. Everyone heard it, right? <laughs> Um, 
Um, actually, that's why Paul... All right, so like, like Paul uses marriage as an analogy to transition here. Um, he uses marriage as an analogy because he talks about husbands and wives, and he says this is like Jesus in the church. So Jesus um, loves the church. He serves the church. He takes care of the church. He provides for its needs. He dies for it. He does everything, protects it, and everything else, and the church's job is to love him back, right? Um, like we're to be in a relationship like that. Um, this doesn't mean I get to judge my neighbor. It doesn't mean if I don't wear a suit and tie, I'm going to hell. Like, it, it doesn't mean any of that stuff. It means I have to be in a relationship with Jesus, and I have to learn to love him and be close to him. Um, we disciple and we grow. Now, how do you disciple? Well, to be honest with you, the best discipleship I've gotten has been, like, a dozen guys in the last 25 years who I have spent time with who have made me a better man. Right? People who have taught me how to be like Jesus. People who have taught me how to like minister better. I got five guys. If I run into a problem and I don't know how to solve it, I call them one after another and I say, what do I do? And they'll say, oh, well, this is what the scriptures say that you should apply here. Oh, yeah, I guess I knew that. Thank you. You know, or, hey, I'm tempted by this. How do I deal with this? Oh, well, here's what I would do and I'll pray with you. Um, because we learn from each other, right? Christianity is like a, I don't know, who learned to farm by reading a book? Anyone? Who learned to farm because your dad took you out and put you on a tractor and drove around with you and explained to you how to spray and explained to you how to drive a combine, explained to you how to, like, like we get trained by other people. The Christian life is no other, is like no different. We learn from other men and women in our lives. We find men who are strong in their faith, who are admirable, who are like Jesus. We spend time with them when we learn from them. By the way, that means there's an obligation. Some of you in this room are fantastic, spiritually mature men. And your job is to teach the younger men around you, is to approach them and say, hey, can we spend time together talking about Jesus sometimes? Can we just spend time together and help Jesus come up? Like, the reality is we learn from each other or we don't learn at all. Or we teach each other or we don't teach at all. Um, Jesus saves us for the purpose of discipleship. Um, we read, we study, we pray, we ask questions. It's, it drives me nuts that people don't ask questions. Um, we apply what we're learning. We read, like, I'll tell you, if you're in a spot where you're like, wow, I've never even thought of this, go home and read the book of James and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then read them again, 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 and ask yourself, well, what does this mean? Am I doing this? What does this mean? Am I trying this? What does this mean? How do I look compared to this? There's a great one in the Sermon on the Mount who says, like where Jesus is teaching, he says, hey, you've heard it said, don't look at a woman lustfully, or no, excuse me, don't commit adultery, don't cheat on your wife, right? He says, but I'm going to tell you, if you're looking at women lustfully, you're already cheating on her. That seems really hard. What he's saying is, don't look at porn if you're married. Everybody got it? Because that's cheating. Because you need to be the kind of man whose heart, whose heart reflects a certain value. My wife is the most valuable thing, not looking at anything else. Hey, you've heard it said don't murder, but I'm going to tell you if you hate folks, you're breaking that law. Gosh, that's hard. Man, I got hating people is like a hobby for me, especially during election season. Amen? <laughs> um, but the reality is that, like, if we don't match that, we're falling short, and we've got to train to become like that. You might say, well, I can't just stop hating people tomorrow. No, you don't do it tomorrow. You do it a little bit at a time. You learn to forgive people. You learn to love people. You learn to pray for them. How am I supposed to learn that? Well, you find somebody else who's done it, and you ask them, how'd you do this? Um, it's funny, the most effective thing in the world for treating alcoholism, right? I, I, alcoholism is this awful thing where you say, well, why can't they just quit? Because they can't. 
right? The most effective thing in the world is they would like, like alcoholics, they get together and they talk about how they're conquering their addiction together and they support each other. And when one of them's struggling, they call each other and that's how they learn to do better. And when they have like, ah, I'm so tempted with this or I keep screwing up in this area and the other alcoholic says, oh, I did that. Let me tell you how I dealt with it. And that is discipleship. That's one guy training another to do better. Um, We train to do better. Um, it is the hardest thing in the world to ask somebody, hey, can you just do this with me so I can get better because I'm struggling? Actually, the hardest thing in the world is to say, hey, I'm awful at this, right? Anybody love telling folks, hey, I sin this way on a regular basis and, like, I'm really ashamed of it and I don't even tell my wife it but, or I don't even tell my husband. I sure as heck don't want my neighbors to know, but this is how I struggle. That is awful, isn't it? It's like throwing up, like because you don't want to do it. But the reality is that this is part of discipleship. We confess, we walk together. This is how we learn to be like Jesus, and this is how we grow to be like Jesus. By the way, that's the reason that we do, like, I'm a stickler for it. I know, like, doing the greet in the beginning of the service, because we are the body of Christ together, right? We grow closer to Jesus by spending time together. Like, this is a part of what we do. Um, So if you want a homework assignment, James and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read it. And then read it again and read it again. And if you got questions, call me or call um, this guy over here knows more Bible than I've forgotten in my life. Or has forgotten more Bible than I know in my lifetime. Uh, Glenn over here knows his Bible backward and forward. He's a good guy to talk to. I was astonished when I started coming to this church how many people know the Bible really well. How many people could step in and be the minister in this church. Because there are a lot of Christian men who are mature. Learn from those guys. Right? Find one and ask him questions and walk with him. Um, This comes down to, like, if you have faith in Christ, that's good. Faith in Christ exists so we can put it into action. Right? I have a car in my driveway um, that was broken down, and I fixed it this week. Or this last few weeks I've been working on it. I finally got where it'll start every time, and I can drive it. Now I'm going to leave it there and look at it because that's its purpose, right? Right? Isn't that why you have cars? (laughs) No, you have cars to drive them. You repair it so you can drive it. In reality, you have been repaired by God for the purpose of following him. Don't sit it on a shelf and stare at it. Don't break it out so you can remember how much better than you are than your neighbor. Um, If you have faith in Christ, live it. Learn it. Love it. It is, honestly, it's the best thing I've ever done. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, One more line from Matthew. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, The reason I'm closing with this is, watch this. Um, There are people who live in shame and guilt all the time, right? I'm willing to bet there are a couple of you in this room. There are people who every morning they get up and they think, No one would notice me if I didn't get out of bed today. There are people who have encountered folks along the way who have told them, you are worthless and will never amount to anything. There are people who secretly doubt every morning that they're good enough, that anybody cares. And I'm here to tell you, and this is what Jesus is saying here, listen, if you're carrying that burden, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll assure you, I'm here for you. I forgive you. You don't need to earn anything from me. But he doesn't say, I'll give you rest and that's it. He says, my yoke is easy. A yoke is a thing you put on an oxen to make them work, right? Like a bridle, that's a horse thing, right? 
a real horse thing. I didn't just make it up. Uh, it's how the horse works. You put a bridle on it. Um, the yoke is this thing that you put on a – what happened to my slide? Um, is this thing you put on an oxen huh, um, so that it, it works. He says, listen, put my yoke on you. Do the work I have for you. I'm gentle and I'm humble and you'll find rest for your soul. But it doesn't mean you stop working. It means you become something different and better. My challenge for you today, and I'll close with a blessing as I'm done. I know I'm going a little long. Um, my challenge for you today is, um, in your life, look, think, pray. Are you applying it? Are you growing? Are you doing something other than leaving your car sitting in the driveway? Right? If that's what you're doing, get out, start it up. Find somebody to teach you how to drive it properly. Um, and become who Jesus meant you to be. But uh, we're going to pray. And my challenge for you today is if, you, if you're, if this is a sermon that's sort of ringing your bells, I used to get that. Anybody ever get that where like you hear something and you're like, man, that's like, it's like he's sitting in my living room. Um, if this is ringing your bells, if you're hearing this, don't take that lightly. The Holy Spirit nudges us. And he says, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. I don't know any of y'all. I, I don't know what's going on in your heart. If the Holy Spirit's bumping you, pay attention and act on it. Don't take it lightly. Don't go to sleep. Don't find yourself standing amongst the goats one day. That's no joke. I'm not a guy who preaches fire and brimstone, but I'm telling you, like, this is no joke. Are you going to apply it or are you going to live it? Let's close in prayer and I'll, we'll do a blessing. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. Um, I pray that... I, uh, I pray that, that even though I think I said some hard things this morning, um, that folks would recognize I'm not judging and I'm not saying this stuff because I'm angry or because I want to beat anybody over the head with the scriptures. Like, Jesus, Jesus loves me and help, help these folks understand that Jesus adores them and that he died for them and that, that this is the, the ticket, the golden ticket, honestly, into the, the best thing in life, to become what we were meant to be, what we were created to be, what you blessed us to be, Lord. Um, I pray that you would, anybody who, who you are moving in their heart, that you would drive them to, to, to step forward and to act in faith and to become, become your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll close in a blessing. It's one last thing from Jesus, right? All right? Stand up and receive the blessing. This is Matthew 28. This is the last thing Jesus says to the disciples before he leaves them. And he says, Go therefore into all the nations, or go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so may you be people who make disciples. Even if you're making disciples of yourself, make disciples. Teach people to follow Jesus. Show people what it means to be saved and how we live if we're saved. Amen. Did I keep you awake today, Jim? Yes, you did. <laughs>